Shanghai's lockdown has turned it into a disaster for the 25 million residents in the city. Twitter CEO announced that Elon Musk turned off the board's offer. What could happen going forward? It seems all search engines are censoring. Is there any exception? What is the role of the technology in the public messaging? Welcome to Wei and Kathy Show. I'm your host Wei Fang. Well, Kathy will be joining us in the later part of the show. Okay, so first a, a little bit about the feature story. Search engine, everybody use it, but、uh, we all know that they are biased and they have own, their own agenda. And、uh, just recently, DuckGoGo seems to start censoring. Is there still anything that we can trust and we can use every day? So Kathy will bring you the answer at the later part of the show. So stay tuned with us. So before we start, please remember to press like and、uh, subscription and the little bell. Make sure it is on. And、um, all right, so we'll just get started. Okay, great. I have to see、uh, to see you here. And、uh, in the beginning, I have to tell you what is happening in Shanghai. I don't think it's well imported or enough imported in the、uh, in English, but it's very very significant. Okay, so basically,、um, Chinese government locked down the China's biggest city, Shanghai. Um, since uh, March twenty、uh, eighth, so it has been almost like fifteen years.、Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> what did I say? Fifteen days. All right. So the lockdown, the purpose is、uh, is to carry out CCP's、uh, zero COVID policy. All right, because they tried that two years ago at in Wuhan. They pretty much just locked down everything. Nobody move, so that they can starve death the、uh, to starve to death the virus. It seems to have worked two years ago. Altogether, they only lost.、Uh, they claim they only lost three、uh, thousand lives, and、uh, which actually Kathy and I reported to you that you know couldn't be true. But anyway, this this still subdued the situ、uh, the, the virus and was able to seems to be able you know able to wade through the mess、uh, two years ago. So Chinese、uh, Communist Party or this、uh, Supreme Leader Xi Jinping came to adopt that. That's the That's their strength. That that's their un the unique measure of locking down. You know, mercilessly is the most effective way to deal with any virus. So what happened is、uh, in the late March, the Omicron variant hit Shanghai, and then Xi Jinping believed that、uh, his approach that he learned two years ago is is a must-win approach this time. So he ordered a, a whole city lockdown. Okay, their plan is to lock down the half of the fifty percent, half of the Shanghai for five days, another half for the other five days, and then give it a few days on today, April eleventh. They shall be able to reach the zero COVID situation, you know, scenario. Okay, and、uh, so what happened today? Tw over twenty five thousand people、um, are tested positive for the virus, and altogether one hundred eighty thousand people tested positive. However, as of now, zero people, zero person died. Nobody died. Okay, so we share with you our interview with the Dr. Malone, right? Right, and you know that Omicron, although it's very, very contagious,、uh, its harm is just like a, like a flu. All right. However, CCP is still determined to eradicate it as it did two years ago. To them, that's that would be a political position. And、uh, and winning the battle against、uh, Omicron would be a political success. 
Okay, so what they did is that they locked down the entire city, and uh, although there's zero people who die from the virus, there's an unidentified number of people die of other things, you know, acute diseases, because um, and, and the, including starvation. All right, so because the party's overriding priority is saying that if you don't get uh, you know nuclear acid tested, if you you are not tested, you cannot do anything. You cannot go anywhere. You cannot even enter the hospital. Okay, that's the overriding order. So many people, when they have their you know sickness or acute disease, they cannot hold, and so people die at the door of the hospital. There's many many cases of reporting by the common people, not never by the media of the Chinese government. Well, I just want to remind you that uh, every media belongs to the Chinese government. There's no single independent media in China. All right, but what I want to stress to you and call your attention is the hunger that is happening to virtually every person in Shanghai, 25 million people. Because how, how do they get food? They cannot go out. They cannot, uh, it's not like they cannot go out of the building. They cannot go out of their door. So somebody has to deliver the food to them. And uh, the delivery person needs to get food from somewhere, and that somewhere needs to take order from the people who, who are locked down. So I report to you this, um, that there's an American attorney in Shanghai, and uh, his name is Jared, and then he would just tweet every single day since uh, March 8th. So basically, starting 12 days ago, he started tweeting that uh, he has difficulty finding food. He has no storage and uh, do, not, do not have any preparation for that. So every morning, he just uh, opened the app and tried to order some food, vegetable or meat. And he has to use 10 apps and check every app every 10 minutes in order to grab the limited inventory there at some online shop. Even, even so, Still, on Sunday, he could not find food. He has two children and his wife. They have to conserve, they have to eat very little so that they can make sure that they have, still have something to eat the next day. And this is an American attorney and living at a upper-class type of uh, residential district. But for the many, many other people, including the low-income people, including the old people who don't know how to use apps, what do they do? We don't know, but we heard report through people sharing online that uh, you know people just died, died of starvation. Okay, this is really a very big slap on the face of the CCP, because Shanghai is the how to say the proudest city in China, and now it's going through, it's having it's meeting its uh, most miserable you know, experience, and not besides you know there are four hundred thousand foreigners in China, in Shanghai who just live and work there, who, who most of them don't know how to write or read Chinese. And how do they find food or order food through those Chinese language apps? We don't know. So as an end result, the U.S. Embassy issued an order that uh, to, you know, uh, the U.S. Uh, foreign mission there can voluntarily um, come back and without staying there. And so the embassy issued an order and which angered the CCP's uh, foreign minister. And then his spokesperson just harshly criticized um, American government for doing such evacuation and saying that that's an attack to, the, to the China's COVID policy. Just, you can think about how ridiculous that, that is. Okay, the, the U.S. foreign mission, and including the Marines at the U.S. embassies, they faced the 
they face the hunger. They, don't, they cannot find food because they did not prepare any. Now, they have to leave, and then that was regarded as a, as a, how to say, as a shame that's imposed upon China, so-called, you know, by the speaker of the Chinese foreign ministry. So that's how things, how ridiculous things has become. So just remember, okay, just try, as we all know, if you try not eating for one day, think about what's the feeling there. It's terrible, I tried that. And then now virtually 25 million Chinese people in Shanghai, they are not sure that whether they can f find food tomorrow. And on some day they just starve, and they don't know how long this will last. And the government for some reason cannot resolve this. Okay, the food just, all the supply chain just got cut off because people cannot move. So food cannot move to Shanghai, and delivery people cannot deliver them, and uh, even get the door, they, they, they have difficulty coming down to pick up the food, and everything connected together. And then we are facing the most, the, the most modern city, most advanced, so-called advanced city of, of China is starving at this time. So... Yeah, well, I'll keep uh, reporting to you this every two days. I'll just update you guys because that's the, that's, the, that's the pace of our show. But um, yeah, it's just something that's really, really worth noting. And uh, this could become, in my own opinion, become a chance for the regime to break. It, it, it is you know, as severe as that. And uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how things go, okay? And then how do, what do you think? You know, you can just type up your, your comment there or what else do you want to know? Um, if, I, if I know, I'll try to answer. But I've been watching and observing this development over there of the situation in Shanghai every, literally every hour, okay? So that, that's what is happening. So basically just to deal with a flu-like, a flu-like type of thing, or even just to say, simplify that, to deal with flu, they locked down 25 million people. And uh, yeah, so, and uh, they lost... Uh, how to say, they lost about $55 billion, $5 billion every single day for the, that locking down, $5 billion US dollars every single day. And then also at the cost of uh, an unidentified number of people dying of acute disease and just starvation, only for the purpose of uh, making sure the people who, number of people who cut flu goes to zero. This is how ridiculous a communist you know, nation could become. And it's actually quite typical if you look at the last uh, seven decades in China. All right, so the, yeah, leave your comment. What do you think? What do you think? Okay, I really want to know how you think about that. Okay, as we go on, then the next one has to do with the Twitter, okay? And the Twitter CEO, Parag Agrawal, and wrote an open letter, actually, last night. It's quite, you know, quite a breaking news. I was driving from Los Angeles to San Francisco, and I called the news. And the Wall Street Journal also reported only like uh, four lines because they don't know what happened, but they have to report it. So basically, the, it's a tweet. Okay? It's a letter addressed to um, C, the, the CEO's team, but he actually tweeted to the pub public. So that's why I call it the open letter. Okay, it's basically said the, the board of the Twitter and uh, offered a seat to Elon Musk, a, a seat of the director to Elon Musk, but Elon Musk turned it down. Okay, and it said, so... Well, what's the offer? Okay, in the offer, the Twitter CEO said, or the Twitter's board said, quote-unquote, okay, quote, we also believe that having Elon, uh, Elon as a fiduciary of the company where he, where he like all board members, has to, has to act in the best interest of the company and all our shareholders. 
was the best path forward. All right, okay. It is said that uh, it is this condition, okay, that turned Elon Musk off, and he decided saying, "No, thank you. I'm not. Um, I'm not um, joining the board." And that's quite shocking to all the people, including all the people who bought the stock. You know, just on the day that uh, Elon Musk announced that he has bought uh, how many? Seventy-four million Twitter shares uh, at a cost of uh, two point six billion dollars in a matter of a few weeks. Okay, and taking nine point two percent of the Twitter and uh, making him the biggest shareholder of the Twitter. Okay, and then at the end of the letter, um, the Mr. Parag Agrawal wrote this. There will be distractions ahead, but our goals and the priorities remain unchanged. Well, that's an interesting sentence there, right? There will be distractions ahead. What does that mean? You know, he's no longer your board member, and you still have your board. Business carry on as usual. You know, why there's a distraction? You're just afraid of his tweet. Actually, it turned out not to so simple. All right. Uh, by turning down this offer of the board, Elon Musk don't go to the board. Then he will. He then he's free himself. He free himself from this requirement of not owning more than fourteen point nine percent as any board member. No board member on the board of the Twitter can own more than fourteen point nine percent, fifteen percent. Okay, anyway, fifteen percent. Make it simple. All right. But without sitting on a board, Elon Musk could buy all the other shares of Twitter from the market, making him absolutely the controller, you know, controlling shareholder of the Twitter. So this is what、uh, could happen down the road. This is what actually deep to worry the、uh, you know the, the CEO, and this is probably the reason why he wrote that, that there will be destruction ahead. But our goals and priorities remain unchanged. Okay, and、uh, as you know, that、uh, how much is worth? How much is the Twitter worth? Altogether, it's just、um, a little more than thirty、um, billion dollars. How much net worth does Elon Musk have? Two hundred seventy-nine, seventy-four. So by taking, you know, just you know, one tenth of his wealth, he can buy 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 up the、um, Twitter entirely, and maybe after that action. Well, the stock price will raise. He will just make money, just right at the moment that he announced that he he he, you know, buys more.、Um, but as a matter of fact, he doesn't have to buy one hundred percent, right? He can buy fifty-one percent, and he can have complete control of that company. So, what do you think? Do 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 you think is you know he's not joining the board is is a good thing or a bad thing, and why? I want you to type up there so that、um, I get your opinion. All right. So it's、uh, you know this is. Quite a news, and、uh, many of us are using Twitter. I know that many of us don't use Twitter. Okay, we use other things,、um, but still, this is a quite a, quite a, quite a matter out there, and in, in the public square. Anyway, so talking about the technology, all right. So Kathy is not with me today, but、uh, she did two interviews、um, a couple of hours earlier, and then we'll have her, you know, present those interviews to you. Uh, it has to do with technology, so what is it about? Take a look. For 
people who feel they are being censored or those who are tired of being tracked when using internet, a pretty popular alternative of web search tool is called DuckDuckGo. But it changed for many of them about a month ago after the company said Russian disinformation would be minimized on its site. DuckDuckGo's chief executive, Gabriel Weinberg, tweeted on March 9th that the search engine would rank website, quote, associated with disinformation, unquote, lower in its search results. People are concerned this could be a sign of DuckDuckGo is picking up the censorship policy like other big tech companies. Naturally, people are also wondering if there are any other alternatives to the popular search engine tools. What's the solution to the search engine censorship? And the bigger question, what is the role of technology in messaging? So in this episode, I talked to two experts about these questions. One is Steve Marshall, a search engine veteran who left Silicon Valley and founded Jibiru, a private uncensored search engine. And the other guest is Rich Laputra, expert in digital marketing since 1985, and he's the president of Free America Alliance. So first of all, I asked Steve, how does he view the change of stance by DuckDuckGo? You know, my hat's off, honestly, to, to Gabriel Weinberg and, um, you know, what he wanted to promote with DuckDuckGo. Uh, it's been a great marketing exercise. Um, you know, unfortunately, they were, uh, they're using Bing as uh, the search index for all their data. And it's, you know, when, when you're using, you're, you're forced into some sort of system like that, uh, you're beholden to their rules. We actually looked at that with Jibiru. Uh, a couple of years back, and uh, Bing was very forceful in terms of uh, how we would actually. Uh, so you think their censoring relates to the system they use, which is Bing? Yeah, unfortunately, I think Gabriel has a lot of choice. I mean, based on the agreements that one would sign, being a Bing partner, uh, which has. So. You're already limiting information, and then uh, yeah, they're very strict in terms of their rules of uh, how they allow people to change uh, the results as they come back from that feed. So it's very difficult to compete in the search engine space. It's very expensive to run the servers to hold all this data. So it's it's no surprise, and you know it's I'm I'm quite saddened by this actually that uh, you know they used 112 million dollars. Uh, to, to, you know, to promote privacy and, uh, frankly, you know, trying to uncensor things. I think, well, Jabiru has been doing this for the same amount of time, 15 years now, that um, it's, it's, it's saddening. I, I, honestly, it hurts my heart to see this, and I, I'd love to see uh, DuckDuckGo be successful, but, frankly, the, the technology just uh, and the the big search engine systems, the Silicon Valley just doesn't want this to happen. It's difficult. Mm. Then how does a Jibiru, uh, does the search engine different from DuckDuckGo? Well, again, so DuckDuckGo, uh, you have DuckDuckGo, Ecosia. These, there's these things that Bing has basically sent their 
or they, they've allowed this system of their uh, index to be uh, prolificated uh, to people to create their own search engines. Uh, but it's all built on this 10% of basically what Google even has. Uh, so what we've been doing on the Jabiru side, we've been building our own index for the last 15 years. We've got almost 2 billion uh, URLs that exist within Google and within Bing and other places and that have been removed. It's kind of difficult to explain all of that, but uh, we have our own index and then we backfill with Google and Bing and other things. So it's sort of a meta search, uh, but we're putting this stuff now in the blockchain, which uh, basically is truth. And that's, uh, I think that's what's going to be disruptive uh, to this whole space. Uh, basically the truth is going to come out and it's, everybody's talking about web three. There's uh, the metaverse. There's things that I think are being misled uh, in terms of what Web3 actually is. But for us, Web3 is actually a technology, a new foundation of the internet that uh, enables us to take content and store it immutably uh, for record's sake, right? So let's say we end up in this, God forbid, a terrible World War III situation, and uh, the, the future archaeologists have to go back and reconstruct what caused all of this and i mean the, the the winners of war write history and to me it's i don't think we should be talking about should we censor things or not let the information be out there and the blockchain is the technology that allows us to do that right i mean kathy you you guys came from china a very censored country and i don't want to say where we're maybe headed uh here uh in the current state of things but uh to, to actually be able to back information up in the blockchain is possibly the one source of truth that could be the library of Alexandria uh, of the future. And so essentially we're, we're building the search engine that can uh, attack and understand that information and serve it back up to people as we need it. Because I'm, you know, really not a tech person, and a lot of our audience probably are not. So, what would be the essential difference when you use the blockchain uh, technology to do the search engine versus what Google or DuckDuckGo and other search, en search engines doing right now? Well, essentially, it's the the factor of being decentralized. Right. So right now we're dealing with centralized uh, systems, whether it be uh, Google Cloud, the Amazon Cloud, AWS, a uh, number of other systems that basically control the flow of information. So uh, the idea of decentralizing the flow of information, it's the only way we can actually have a, a true backup of information is doing it distributedly. Yeah, so when people like use, um, for example, Google to search or DuckDuckGo to search uh, information on the Russia-Ukraine war right now, how would be the search and like a search results different than if they use the Jibiru to search? Yeah, so it's not just Jibiru to search, but it's this whole ecosystem of our own index, right, where uh, Google being can decide what things should rank, should not rank. And it's been called uh, 
you know, shadow banning. There's all sorts of terminology around different ranking algorithmic uh, pieces. But uh, in the short, I've been doing search engine optimization for over 15 years now. And that's why um, Jabiru came to exist. Group uh, of people really shadow banned or depressed and lift that stuff back up because people should be able to see that. The algorithms do one piece of suppressing information. Um, it's uh, what we've done is we've kind of reversed that. So if things get intentionally suppressed or depressed, we try to raise that back up. Again, we believe uh, information should be accessible to people and let the people decide um, what reality is. It's so one of the other things we're doing is backing up uh, videos that have been deleted or removed from YouTube. And uh, we'll actually add that as a filter in the video results shortly uh, that we're working with PDVid, um, some great folks that have been doing other web archive uh, experiments. So um, yeah, we're hopeful to actually have that coming online in the next couple of weeks. So things that have actually been taken down from YouTube be uh, resurfaced and filtered upon. So. So actually, you could uh, just revive those uh, deleted videos from uh, YouTube by YouTube. That's right. We, we've been indexing all of this information. We've been storing it. Uh, so yes, as things have been taken down, uh, it's fair that it should be revivable in our opinion. So let people decide uh, you know, what was there and if it's uh, propaganda or not. That be open to uh, Discord. So that's really sounds amazing. But then, since it's deleted from the YouTube, when you revive it, where those video will show? Yeah, it's all it's being backed up. Uh, I oh, don't want to disclose the sources where that is because those could be vectors of attack, of course. But um, point is, we want to save the information. It's the world's information. It's kind of the Library of Alexandria. Um, and again, the victors uh, write history, right? So um, we just think it's important to back up all information uh, as it's delivered and allow people access to that. And that's all we're trying to do is allow the access to find where that uh, information is. So, mm -hmm. Steve, you came from Silicon Valley. So this question is not really related to technology, but see if you have any uh, input on that. Why do you think, um, you know, the high tech, especially the Silicon Valley, initially, for example, Google said they will do no evil, but come to today, you know, a lot of people won't really agree with that. What's the reason they become that? Yeah, it's tough, Kathy. It's, uh, so yeah, myself in Silicon Valley, I, for some of the biggest tech firms in marketing, um, this is why I built Jabiru. I, I knew that organically I'd, I'd been invited to the Google campus a number of times. Um, and uh, great parties. It's it's a good story. It's, it's about money. Ultimately, it's about advertising. It's dollars. Um, but there's a new economy out there. I mean, the decentralized web, honestly, is the way of the future. And I think um, everybody's going to have to play catch up with this. Google's going to have a tough time. We have... Uh, you know, third-party cookies are going away. The way web tracking is working with um, uh, all the European compliance, thankfully, has kind of led the charge on this uh, in terms of uh, privacy and tracking what we can do. And the current models aren't sustainable. Uh, 
you know, similar to currency. That's why crypto is one side of this whole thing, but utilizing the blockchain technology that basically funds and, and provides the privacy and the anonymity in the crypto world. To me, information is more valuable than money at this point, right? Especially if we're going into times of war. If we can't preserve the information uh, and truth, right? If we think about like security by design, uh, blockchain effectively, there's a ledger of everything happening, uh, every change, every record. So this, it's the future of information is my belief. There's going to be a shift, I think, of the internet. It's, blockchain's not going to change everything, but uh, hopefully we can save information in places that, uh, God forbid, we destroy ourselves in some sort of war um, that future archaeologists will be able to uh, unravel what we've done and find some truth in everything. For our audience who are interested in check out Jiburu, what, what do they do? Well, Jibiru is just the, the index, essentially. So it's, you know, G-I-B-I-R-U.com uh, means nothing. But uh, there's a number of other sites out there. Search Rocket, search R-O-C-K-I-T.com. Uh, free search is coming on board. There's just a number of sites that are all using this sort of open source index that we're creating to uncensor and privatize the web. Um, Plum.1. PLUMB.ONE is another example. Uh, so we're just distributing this information out there. It's uh, We're sharing the index with everybody that's, when you realize that we've all been locked into watching Google uh, for so long, it's like watching MSNBC or CNN or Fox, or it doesn't matter the brand you put behind it. Uh, there's a lot of other information out there. Mm. And we're trying to surface that. So. Okay. So you actually, you're sharing the uh, technology with others so that the other search engines can use your technology for people. That's it. I, I'm just a spokesperson for the cohort that's essentially uh, trying to decentralize information. So what is the role of technology in messaging? How can technology better serve messaging? Rich Laputra got involved in digital marketing even pre-web since 1985 when the microcomputer came out. He personally experienced how messaging delivery has evolved with the development of technology. Rich is very passionate about various human rights issues, including sex trafficking and veterans. He founded a nonprofit called Cause Action Inc. He's also the president of Free America Alliance, trying to address the challenge of the role of technology in messaging. There is a cohort there is a growing uh, group of people and some of them are very technical and some of them are much less so but we all have a love and a passion for preserving what we believe can be better and closer truth truth is rarely and you'll forgive me but truth is rarely absolute <laughs> so uh, we count on um, good faith and technology to help us bring us closer to making better decisions. And there are people who will manipulate that. Um, and we don't want to be, we, we, we reject that. We don't think it's a prudent way for, um, for people to uh, continue to deal with what we're dealing with now and what you dealt with um, in your background when uh, 
when you left China, as I understand it. Mm -hmm. uh, we are of the persuasion that, uh, yeah, this is about technology uh, serving a kind of philosophy, if you will, or a point of view that says we ought to be able to consider uh, information from multiple sources, perhaps by so doing reduce some of the rather insane, if I may use that word, divisions that now lie between people that I think have been engendered or fostered by uh, how information is either delivered in or kept from. And that's the point that Steve was pointing out is very important. You know, you look at censorship of any kind um, and or any kind of a voice that claims to be the one and only voice. Uh, I am not a cynic, um, but I am naturally a bit skeptical of uh, sources, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we ought to be able to look at sources and points of view and stories, and so it's a it's a it's a great moment. Actually, I'm not a technologist, technically speaking. I'm not a you know Steve has lived in a world and worked in a world that is uh, arguably much more much deeper into this. He's been doing this for, for a long time. I'm more on the consumer side, and to the extent that I'm developing a platform for, with Steve, for this kind of access, um, I think it's a good thing. And the technology ought to serve people and their best interests, and I, I do believe that this is in their best interest. I, it's important that people look at things from multiple perspectives, even if they're by some, uh, some people view them as being uh, extreme or they assign whatever adverb or adjectives they need to assign. Very often, they're no more right or wrong. It's just a question of, again, having access to that information. That's why what the blockchain is about and the fact that Steve pioneered in this space and and took this initiative years ago uh that's how that's and why we're working together to advance again a more open uh an open web and uh a door the means to access that open web and um so thank you for the opportunity to to backstop a little bit here and uh, but i do think it comes down to that now there's an opportunity for technology to serve people and their decisions, and that includes their political decisions, their personal decisions, to better inform them. It's based on the premise that we can uh, think things through on our own and independently uh, without having to be beholden to any one source. Yeah, so Richard, I think you really hit a point or question. I think people, you know, it's debatable, like um, whether the technology uh, companies should they be deciding like what's the best a uh, good information for people to to see yeah that's a that's a very fair question on the one hand the answer I, you know, I'm of two minds at times on this question uh, it is uh, you know private entities and private uh, companies um, our system of free enterprise and I prefer to refer to it as free enterprise as opposed to just simply capitalism. It's both. But our system is built on uh, my prerogative to build, to create a business 
and to choose how it is that I will run and manage that business. And that is pretty fundamental, actually. And so in one sense, we don't have the prerogative of telling a private enterprise as big as Google is or anybody else how and what they should or shouldn't do um, in terms of how they handle and choose to handle information any more than we would insist that a restaurateur serve a particular kind of food or cook it a particular way. On the other hand, they have very much become part of the fabric of governance and they've become part of the uh, overall American fabric. I mean, they did sort of whip open a big old candy store and everybody went in for the candy and they understood that. Um, I have, you know, some years in this back to uh, when Google wasn't even called Google. So they built their business. And it's not to isolate Google alone because we can all see what has happened elsewhere, Facebook, uh, and for that matter, other social media networks and search engines. Uh, they, on the one hand, have the prerogative to run the business the way they choose to run it. On the other hand, we get into the matter of corporate responsibility um, and uh, certain accountability now that I think is a fair question to ask, we ought to at least be able to ask the question and uh, to be shut down, to be told that we're, uh, to be quiet and sit down because we're asking the questions is not a good choice. And as Steve pointed out, this is very much an issue in Europe, more so sooner in a sense than it was here, mostly around privacy, but again, yeah, and Kathy, you, you guys dealt with being in the uh, YouTube uh, penalty box for a week uh, with the People's Convoy, from what I understand. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, censorship is real in America. It's happening. I've been monitoring search rankings for the last 15 years. And that's, again, why Jibiru came to be what it is, where I decided we should just start re-ranking things that is be, are being suppressed. And uh, so it's, it's unfortunate that... Um, you know, it's, it's come this far, but, uh, again, my, my belief is that we should preserve all the information in some sort of web archive, which is luckily blockchain allows that. Um, and now with the new video stuff that we are backing up everything deleted from YouTube or removed from YouTube to at least be available for people in the future to look back and, and make the right decisions of what might've really happened given the situations that we're in. I'll add a quick uh, note, if I may, on the matter of censorship. Uh, and Kathy, I sure. was not aware until recently how you were you were off uh, YouTube for a week. Uh, I'm aware of private individuals, somebody at a private level who is essentially, this has happened to them multiple times, and again, only for passing on uh, information on, uh, and nothing extreme, weird, or violent, or insane nothing like that just simply the same kind of thing that you covered with the truckers uh brought this put this private individual in that same in that same penalty box mm. and that just begs a an even bigger question in a sense that if it's at, at the individual level yikes that is of great concern now mm. again it's their prerogative to do it and I think what Steve and I and others, many others are saying, we ought to have other alternatives and other ways in which these things um, can be. And we certainly don't subscribe to or endorse or want to see any 
on either side. We ought not to be engaging in anything that is uh, abusive, that is encourages uh, violence or, or such, but we ought to be able to have a fair and reasonable access and conversation respectfully uh, without being put in the penalty box as you were simply reporting and you your bank account shut down which is the future of this unfortunately yeah and you have a very very special perspective i don't know you that well kathy but i know a bit about you know your story only at a distance but you understand it better than most people would because you've lived it yes steve is grown up in much more technical you know space than than I have even arguably, but the unifying factor, the common denominator, and I believe it's of course it's the same with you, the common denominator and the unifying thing here is the passion for better culture, better community, better decisions, better governance, all of it. And we are dependent on this fantastic big thing called the internet and the web. And it is our individual and collective responsibility to manage it as well as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's what Steve started doing. And we found each other on the road to uh, figuring this out. I'm very happy for that. Thank you, Richard, for sharing with us uh, where you come from. And uh, so I think indeed a lot of people would have the same sentiment. You know, the truth is the truth, but it's for people to get the information so that they can make their own judgments. Indeed. Well, thank you, Steve, for giving us your insights. Thank you, Kathy. All right. So, what do you think? And uh, so, we we met. Yeah, I met uh, yeah Mike St- Steve uh, a few months ago. And uh, so, basically, those are the individuals, okay, um, American citizen who just take things into their own hand and see what they can do. And um, you know, be it uh, Safe Chat or Gibru or other tools, okay, who, who, who are still just, they just exist because of the, the founders, okay, are, are persisting there. And just like this show, all right. So we'll keep finding them, we'll keep presenting their story to you so that they can also try their product, Gibru, I think, G-I-B-I-R-U.com. And uh, yeah, I have a lot of admiration for those determined uh, citizens who do their best job for the freedom that they believe in. All right, so that's all before t- tonight. And um, thank you for being with us, really. And um, so I will see you the day after. Have a good night. And um, I'll see you again. Bye-bye.